What's the situation, Lieutenant? Colonel Casey, the bridge has been evacuated except for our lead driver. GDF rescue and repair is at least an hour out. That man doesn't have an hour. This bridge won't last ten minutes. Colonel Casey, looks like the Global Defense Force could use a hand. International rescue. You boys are a welcome sight. My driver and the bridge. It may be, Colonel. Thunderbird 2, how quickly can we stabilize this bridge? Faster than you can say Thunderbirds or go. Okay, you get the bridge, Virgil, but be careful of that downdraft. I'm on the driver. Thunderbirds are go. All right, maybe I was exaggerating a little. Home stabilization pods deploy. Thunderbirds are go. <laughs> I always wanted to say that. I always <laughs> wanted to say Thunderbirds are go. Eugene here in Toronto for the Agency Podcast. Hi, Eugene. It's Candy here in Albuquerque, New Mexico for the podcast. Albuquerque. Good okay? old Albuquerque. He took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. That's what happens. It's definitely. Well, there's a Roadrunner train even. Oh, is it's there really? Right out, it's right out of Coyote and Roadrunner cartoons, this place. <laughs> Excellent. It's wonderful. I got a bottle of water. We're drinking water today, not tea or booze. Okay, I've got... Uh, uh, Sheila just made some some coffee, so... Oh, nice. i got some super strong jet fuel here. Oh, I'm afraid to drink coffee again. I had coffee. I had tea the other night. We took the train out. I had tea, let's say, 7 o'clock at night. I didn't sleep at all. <laughs> but I could not... It might be the tea. It might be the excitement. How was the train the ride? Train, the train was great. Was it overnight? It was overnight. And we were super bougie. We had little beds. Oh, that's so cool. It was amazing. And the food's really good. And the, the people on the train were really good. In fact, we gave two conductors our, our podcast cards. Excellent. We've been making friends with them. And, and, and we gave some of the servers podcast cards. So, hey, hopefully we'll have some more listeners. And speaking well, of. Yes. We have to celebrate. We cheers do. to you. And you too. I raised my bottle of water to you. We broke uh, 10,000 downloads. A huge yes. milestone for the little podcast that could. Definitely. And thanks so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. I confess there, there were some weeks where I thought maybe we were the little podcast that couldn't, but. <laughs> I, know, but I know. But you folks have come through and we really, we really appreciate our listeners. Yes, we do. Thank you so much. And, um, you know, we put up some, we put up some posters and business cards in a, in a restaurant today in a, a cool coffee shop where I, we've posted our, two years ago, we posted our stuff for the podcast. So we did it again. It was a very busy coffee oh, shop today. It would be very cool if somebody recognizes it. I know, wouldn't it? Yes, it would be. Um, so yeah, we're just walking around. So we got in last night. We've just been walking around Albuquerque and kind of organizing my paper. I still have to do some photocopies. I think we're more or less ready. And, um, you know, we got artwork to share at the conference. And 
Albuquerque's taken some hits. We've noticed a lot of businesses gone that we Oh, really, is that so? Yeah, yeah. It looks pretty. We haven't gone right downtown to the entertainment section, but where we usually go to rest, there's restaurants and bars and a, and a 1927 uh, movie theater, um, which is very unique. It's a um, Pueblo and Art Deco mixed together. It's a beautiful theater. But we see a lot of boarded up windows. Wow. Well, that's a shame. I hate to see that. I know. I really do. I know. Hey, we have mail. Oh, good. Fantastic. Yes, we have uh, we have mail from uh, from Adamandia, Yay. friend of the podcast, um, yep. who um, must have heard the podcast where we talked about uh, Detour um, because she said, hello there. I'm having an Edgar G. Ulmer Film Festival this weekend. So Ooh. far, I've watched The Man from Planet X, The Amazing Transparent Man, and beyond the time barrier all right most of beyond the time barrier the last <laughs> one is interesting because it's about a plague caused by the deterioration of the ozone layer and takes place in 2024 wow oh, no that's crazy yeah what year was it made i wonder uh, i don't know but i could see that we have a movie list we've got to track these down now yeah we do yes the man Thank from planet you. x amazing transparent man and beyond the time barrier uh, Adam Andia, we're going to do our best to watch these and uh, and report on a, a future podcast. And did you mention any of those movies when you were looking at the directors? Is that uh, I did. I, I read a list of some of the movies. And so some of those movies she's watching them. That's yes. pretty interesting. Yeah, I think that's really cool. That's mm -hmm. because here at the agency, we're we're influencers, don't you know? That's right. <laughs> I'm learning about influencers because I, I was getting caught up with Sheila on that uh, show we talked about last week, Inventing Anna. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're all about the influencers. Oh, so Sheila is watching it. So you've joined in now? Oh, yes. I've seen most of most of the episodes. Okay. I mean, it's juicy. It, it definitely is a lot of fun. Well, it's it's tremendous fun. It's really entertaining. Yes. It's also tremendously irritating at the yes. same time. Yes. And as, as Sheila and I were felt compelled to keep watching it. We couldn't take our eyes off it. Both of us were saying, this is kind of bad, you know? This is like, it's not very good. Let's watch another one. Right, and I mean, that's what I say. I don't let bad taste or bad, or some challenges ever stop me from enjoying a, a juicy soap opera. And I mean, this is definitely a soap opera of all yeah. soap operas. And, and we've certainly learned that you can't be a con artist without almost like other con artists falling for it. like. It's very interesting, don't you think, how they, they treat the Rachel character? Yes. I mean, she's treated herself, that she's so mad that she's been ripped off. It's the first time she ever paid for dinner with this with the con artist. Con artist always bought her dinner. That's right. And now she's pissed because she had to pay for something. Uh, well, yes, but she did, in fairness to her, it was a $62,000 vacation. <laughs> For like, what was it, a four-day vacation or something? That is true. That is true. <laughs> now, I, I've stayed at some nice places in my time, but I would have to really work to spend that kind of money in a year. No, I wonder, <laughs> that, that must have been just what you would imagine is like such fine service. or Is it fine service or is it just to keep people away from and safe in a... In I, a I'm sure part of it, part of it is just to have the atmosphere of a place that costs that much. I guess so. And that you I, don't... I think there's something to that. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Anyway, it's, it's we're, wacky. We're going to be I... staying in a very nice, we're staying in a very nice hotel here. Oh yeah. Who can you con somebody into, uh, into paying for it? <laughs> oh, we pay for it. 
We well, that's okay. For- well, then you just get up early in the morning and dash. <laughs> Sorry, paid for it. Um, I, we, right. we saw this hotel and we really, really loved it a few years ago. A friend of ours was staying there, and then it just like, oh my god, we have to stay there. So we saved our money, and by save our money, I mean credit cards, um, so that we can go to this place. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple of days in Alb- Albuquerque, and and you could get get there for under sixty thousand. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, my last words about inventing Anna is the wacky accent of Julia Garner is just too well, much. That's the I think that's the main thing that bothered me. One, I it's, did feel Anna Chomsky had some problems. You know, I could hear the director going, now say it again, funny. And it's like, just let them act. And Julia Garner is a great actor. She's just really I like it. her in everything I see her in, but yes. I really had to strain to tolerate her in this one. Well, because her accent was missing in some of it, because well, they it's because it doesn't kind of, hurt because it doesn't come from any place on this planet. It's well, just wacky. That. It is wacky. I think that they could have. She could have just I, her, when she speaks in the in the in the in the accent that sounds a bit German, a bit Russian. That's fine. But what happens is that they obviously did takes where she wasn't doing her accent and they kept them. Yes, 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 yes. So there's different levels of accent too, yes. Her regular voice comes through. And I mean, her regular voice is probably not an Ozark Southern accent. Um, I, I've i seen her, in, what else is she in? She was she's in the Americans. The Americans. Yeah. the Americans, that's right. And I don't think she had a Southern accent in that. She had her regular um, Midwest, yeah. um, East Coast I mean, kind of. She did a good job being a really cold bitch. Absolutely. Like, oh, she like, was good. That was, I mean, obviously that's the character that, that she was playing, yeah. but she did really a, a wonderful job just portraying the air of superiority over Absolutely. everybody. Absolutely. And that's what counts. And all the clothing counts. It's really about all of that. It, it really, you know, Valley of the Dolls is not the best acting in the world at all, but God damn it, it's worth every second. And it's like the real housewives in that. It's it's we're really watching it for the um for the for the joy of watching rich New Yorkers get ripped off by someone. Because really, in a way, you're kind of on her side because it's such a rich, yuppie um, environment. Why well, shouldn't she fuck you? The, well, it's, you know, like my dad used to say, you know, Robin Hood was right. There's no point robbing the poor. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and she found people with lots of money to steal from. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I just, the whole idea of go staying at some expensive hotel with no intention of paying for it. I mean, if I did it, I would just be thrown in jail. And I would never sleep. I would be so uncomfortable and nervous <laughs> about getting caught. Every day you walk by the registration and you're the concierge or whatever, you're like waiting for them to call you over. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, she really understood how to, to keep them off her back for a while. And she would get the confidence of some staff you know, that, 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 that they just believed her story. So they didn't ring through her credit card or something. Who knows? It was pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. And whenever challenged, he would just like put up some attitude and yeah. it would just back people right off. Yeah. It's, it's amazing really how easily convinced people are. People don't want conflict mostly. Right. right? You know, if they could be convinced. You don't have to, you could just make it okay. There doesn't mm-hmm, have to be conflict mm-hmm. here. In some ways, she's not different than Don Draper. I mean, he actually did work for a living. He had a job, but he had the secret of his past and his family, and he didn't want anyone to know where he was from. And 
the reason she, in some ways, the reason she didn't want anyone to know where she was from wasn't just because she was ripping them off. I think there was a level of shame. She was just from a, maybe an average family in Europe. And, you know, she says over and over that they didn't understand her. I mean, I don't dislike, I don't dislike, that really wasn't the part that was interesting to me. What I wanted to know was why is she doing this? What made it that she, was it just greed? I don't think it was just greed. I think it's, it was like, yeah, I think it's a lot more, more complex than yeah. that. And it's very yeah. hard from the show. It's very hard to figure that out. Um, but as well, we've seen in the past century, there have been a number of people who have just been kind of like that, who reinvent themselves mm -hmm. totally mm -hmm. um, and who are hugely successful at it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you I can think in the, in the pop music world, I think of mm, David Bowie. Bob Dylan, for instance, mm -hmm. people who have really invented themselves. Madonna really mm -hmm. invented and, a, a and persona over and, over again. Yes. And, and sold that persona for years yeah. and years and years successfully. Yeah. You know, carrying that off is uh, because it is in a way a persona. It's not it's not the everyday how, oh. how you would deal with these people if, if they live next door. Right. Totally. Well, that's why we call it con artist. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is an art of deception and an art of performance. I mean, she really was performing almost all the time. And the other she thing with, what? The thing with the show is that it that we like is it, mm -hmm. we're like it makes us voyeurs in a way into mm -hmm. a world that we rarely get to glimpse. The yes. world of people with way too much money. Way too much money and also pretty young. That's also kind of attractive. They're good looking, they're um you know, they've got all this money and they just want to have a good time. <laughs> oh, and, and characters would say things like, oh, no, she was definitely old money. Or like yeah. they, they had a sense of who she was. Oh, no, she was perfect because they knew because of how she dressed. She right. had to be an heiress. Right. Like, so and she got the details right. Whatever those details were that she needed to perfect, she nailed it. How did she know? I don't know. Because, I, I mean, maybe I wouldn't she know. She did go to school in Paris, I believe, and it might have been art school. Um, she definitely seems to have a passion for art, and she seemed to be able to talk about it. You know, it's cool when they, she talks about Cindy Sherman, because, of course, Cindy Sherman takes on personages uh, in her, as mm. she poses as characters in her photography. So it would make sense that she would like her, but she, I think she studied a bit of art. And what if it also seemed it wasn't impossible it seemed like she got arrested just at the wrong time. If they hadn't gone to Morocco, that was like her fatal flaw going to Morocco. She should have just stayed where she was. And I wonder, would she have really gotten that $40 million for that building? And, and it could have happened. I mean, we wouldn't have known she was a con <laughs> artist. Right, well, weren't they actually giving it to her? I don't know. I don't, I don't know because I, I didn't see all the episodes either. So. Okay, so you're still getting there. Did you see her go out for dinner with um? I've I think seen, it's, I uh, we I've reached the end, but I missed some episodes oh, along the way. Okay, 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 okay. Because yeah. there were some I just couldn't handle it, and she would watch, <laughs> and I went and like played fiddle or something. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Now you know what the fuss is all about, though. Yeah. But yeah. Aside from some couple of unfortunate acting things that I blame the directors for. They should have given them a bit another chance to retake it. 
And um, maybe they just didn't understand. They, they sort of wanted it to be a bit comedy. I mean, they could, it would have to have a different writing to be a comedy film, but there were funny bits in it. There were funny bits, but they, they were really, I think they made a mistake trying to make it comedic and a drama. Just yeah, make it what it is. I thought they did the, the production values were a little bit too slick as well. Interesting. I think that viewership will love that though. I think I, that's part of the fun. I, I think that it's part of the producers um, kind of uh body of work i i think it it has the slickness that's i yeah. think that's something she's known for oh the producer oh shonda rhymes yeah well yeah. shonda rhymes you can don't say anything bad about my shonda rhymes i love her i did i say um, anything i am bad? i always said no, you did. her stuff no, is slick. yes you did and it is it slick. is slick it is slick and that's true. although i that, did that watch several several episodes of i think scandal which was really oh, yeah. kind of hard to take i watched this out right. of fascination you're not her target audience, though. That's true. It's true. Yeah. I'm not anybody's so, target. That's a story yes. in my life. I'm not no, anybody's I, target audience. I think you're somebody's target audience. I think I think there are movies that are made for you. I would say Wes Paul Anderson is one of them. I would say there's probably a few people. I think I just screwed up his name anyway. But I definitely think there is a genre of movies that are yours. Okay. Uh, so... Um, so we're also trying to help out uh, Francis Ford Coppola over here. We bought some of his wine. Uh, excellent. Good idea yep. because he is yep. going to self-fund some, yes. some kind of crazy ass I know. Uh, it's going to be called, what's the working title? Is it, is it uh, uh, it's <laughs> Megalopolis or something? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, is it something wild like that. It's a great title. I forgot what the title was. But now that you say that, it was like mega opolis or metropolis just or reading yeah. a little article that that you sent me yeah i got so really cool. kind of charged up me I too. nobody wants to fund it it's wacky and crazy and impossible and he's gonna fund yeah. it himself because he thinks it's important it's gonna be freaking great i love it you know i loved his you know he's had bombs over the years and i they're two of my favorite movies one of them was the cotton club and one of them oh, is, i love um, the cotton club what, it's a great Me movie. We, well, we've talked about it so much here. Um, we love the Cotton Club, but also he made one from the heart. And that article mentioned that bomb. Oh. I'm telling you, one from the heart. I saw from the in the theaters. I freaking loved it. It was such a cool movie. It was so gorgeous. If you want to see a beautiful movie, watch that. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, I it's just saw. gorgeous. It's a weird movie. It's uh, told with some music sometimes. But it is, it's gorgeous. The lighting, I think it's in Las Vegas, if I remember correctly. Right. So you're in Albuquerque. And when does the, when does the conference start? I do my paper tomorrow and I'm, I'm, it's kind of chaos making. I'm, I've got to get to a photocopy shop and all that stuff. We went out to Target today and got some groceries. Because <laughs> we usually make our lunches. We eat out, yes. but we usually make lunches and eat uh, breakfast in the hotels. And um, so tomorrow is my paper. Um, I also think I might be on a panel tomorrow right. with uh, George's group, the Esoterica group for uh, transhumanism. So I don't know. I'm waiting. I've got to, I wrote notes of when it was, and now I can't find them at all. So perfect. I'll just have to get there. <laughs> you know, they give us a big program when you get there, you sign in and you get your lanyard and you get a program with all the different choices. I don't remember seeing um, Hitchcock. I think this is going to be a small group of people maybe only a couple hundred people because of the pandemic mm -hmm. um what i understood from the email with the people that in, in my area was that universities because of covid they're not giving 
you know, people get money to, uh, to, to go to these things. And, um, and, and it's a, it's to help keep, it's like publish your parish, right? You, you want to go to, to present your papers because you want to be peer reviewed and you want to show that you're always working just like a prophet. Yeah. Or the very, the very least that if you're an academic, you want that, you want to secure that tenure track position. And if you're, if you're not delivering papers, you're not doing research uh, or producing art or whatever Mm -hmm. it is, um, then then you're not going to be able to achieve um, that level in academia. Right. Exactly. So it's, it goes on your resume. It goes on your, um, you know, your history that you doing papers, you've got to do them once or twice a year, I think, or, or such. Well, that's and exciting. Anyway, you must so, be nervous. Well, I'm going to touch wood. I don't feel nervous right now. I usually do. I've had the best time doing this paper than all the other papers before, because it's everything that was already in my head. Mm-hmm. Plus you're and getting all, better and better at putting these <laughs> things together and organizing them. Well, thanks. I hope so. But it also because the way I went on the topic, it was all stuff I knew about all I needed. The reason I needed to read was to have my bibliography together. And some of the information I had come across was a long time ago. So I had to find the evidence Mm. to have it in background. I knew it, but you can't go there and not have the bibliography. You can't do it. You've got to be able to prove that you didn't make shit up, you know, even though I do make up stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not making it up. I'm putting it together in a way that hasn't been seen before. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you with anything else? I wanted to ask you something else. What was it? Can't well, um, last night, yep. uh, Sheila and I watched uh, a 1940 Howard Hawks film, oh. uh, His Girl Friday, with mm, Cary Grant and Rosalind that's a Russell. Good one. Uh, it's a great one. It's it's really, I think it's a, it's a film that people today should watch because, really? yeah, because unlike most films today, the way the dialogue is treated in this, in this film is tremendously choreographed. Yes. Um, the dialogue is fast and snappy. Nobody yes. stops to think. They all have their responses on the tips of their brains and it's like out with it. And it's like, it's got this fast cadence and it's everything's yes. going back and forth. And at one point in the film, it's 1940 and the telephones in 1940 are 1940 telephones, which are like these <laughs> sticks with this hanging bell-shaped <laughs> yeah. thing, right? And there's yeah. a, they're in this press room at a prison and there's about 10 of these phones and they're all going off and everybody's <laughs> answering these phones and the dialogue is happening all at once and there's action people are doing different things mm. and it's just it's a relentless film it's hilarious yeah. it is it's frustrating because it's just relentless there's no time yeah. to, it doesn't give you a chance to breathe at all in it you don't go it just goes right. from like one scene to the next scene to the next scene. And uh, Cary Grant is so obnoxious. He doesn't <laughs> usually play such an obnoxious character. Right. Um, but, uh, but he is, but charming at the same time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But really it's Rosalind Russell's film. She's mm-hmm. brilliant in it. Um, mm-hmm. And she's, she plays um, a reporter uh, on the paper where uh, Cary Grant is the managing editor and um, she's also his ex-wife and she's <laughs> going to marry this guy who, um, milk toast is the word that comes to mind. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. and he's just decided that 
she's not going to go off with this guy. She's going to stay in town. She's going to take her job back and she's going to remarry him. And he's just decided this. And, um, and he convinces her to go to a prison to do an article about a guy who's going to get executed. And that's really the heart of the, okay. of this wacky film, which is a really a remake of the front page, which I yes. believe was also done twice. Yes. Yes, well, it, this is what Aaron Sorkin comes from. This is he's his whole his whole career has been make a movie like with that kind of pacing. Mm -hmm. That's why you know his dialogue is just incredible, and I think it's inspired from this kind of movie. Yeah, interesting. Witty banter. Uh, Witty great parte. I'll bet you they had to do a number of those scenes over and over again to get that dialogue that crisp. Mm -hmm. You know, I it know. was really quite fantastic to to watch that. And that's Howard Hawks, right? Yes, it is. Yes, he's so good. Same as bringing up baby. Oh yeah, he's a great director. Great director, a lot of fun. We also saw another film, which uh, you'll you'll be happy to know, is a coming of age story because you know coming of age stories are us. I know. And we have to figure out why we like them. Let's figure that out. Yeah, I think it's because when you make a mistake when you're um, young, it it helps it might help you be a good person. There's something so pure of heart about it that when you see people doing jerky things when they're old, it's, it's too late or something. Maybe. You know, coming of age story, they, they, you don't, they don't go to jail. They're like, they learn how to be good people or something. The film we, the film we saw is called the charm city Kings. Mm, we watched about an hour of it. And charm city, of course, is Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> and we know Baltimore has to be the charm city because Hey, I've seen The Wire and yes. Homicide Life on the Streets, and yes. I know it's a charming place. Yes. I didn't know that it was it had a nickname, Charm City. Yeah. yeah. So it seems that there is an activity in Charm City that has to do with riding dirt bikes through the city. Mm -hmm. I had no idea about this. Mm -hmm. And the film um, focuses around a 14-year-old kid named Mouse, and he wants to, he wants to ride one of these dirt bikes and he had an older brother three years older who died mysteriously and we find out that he was running drugs on his mm -hmm. dirt bike and uh bad things happened um and he's sort of mouse's hero and him and his buddies they want to they want to kind of get with this group um that were called um the midnight click yeah um, and they were like the badass riders. Uh, and at the same time, there's kind of a, a love interest story going mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. um, he meets this, uh, this young woman named Nikki, and they kind of hit it off. And at the same time, he gets more and more involved with this biking community and his family needs money. And he sees there's an opportunity to be like a drug delivery guy. Oh. And at the same time, he's there's a guy who was his brother's peer, known as Blacks or MC Blacks, and oh. and I think he is a was played by a hip hop guy, I believe, um, and he's an ex con, and he sort of takes Mouse under his wing in a way, and he does it. It seems out of a, a guilt because he was involved in getting Mouse's brother to get involved in that kind of mm. badass drug activity. 
so really interesting film. It's based on a documentary uh, called The 12 O'Clock Boys from 2013. So it's based on a true story directed by Angel Manuel Soto. Don't know anything about him. It's from 2020. It's, um, well, I shouldn't say it's a charming film, but it is a charming film. I mean, like all coming of age stories, there's always that kernel of, you, you always see sort of like a little bit of the goodness in people, even if they're struggling to exhibit mm -hmm. it. Um, mm -hmm. You always see some kind of positive, even when bad shit is happening around them. Yeah. Uh, so well worth, well worth watching. Well, it's interesting that you say it came from a documentary because one of the things I liked about it at the beginning of the film, I thought it was a documentary because of the way it's filmed. The quality of the film really looked like a documentary. I wonder if they showed some footage cool. from, from an actual ride. I wonder. I wonder. But even the kids walking down the street and that, I thought there was a quality of it being older than it was. I was I couldn't figure out what year it was made, you know? Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool. One of the interesting things in this film for me was that this teenager mouse had two people looking looking out for him one yes, yes. mc blacks but the other right. guy was a cop yeah who met him in a school program and mm -hmm. was kind of watching out for him and yeah. so there's both of these people are trying to guide this kid onto um, a positive path for his future and right. And he's struggling because he's driven to, he's driven to be wild and free. Yeah. 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 He wants to have fun and he wants to be a, a young man. And, and those bikes really represent, um, you know, there's a, there's a groups like that in Chicago. And there's also another thing we see is a larger tri tri wheel. It's not a car. It's not a motorcycle, but it's three wheels. And we see a lot of people ride them around in Chicago. Oh, yeah. And there's just such a sense of freedom when you've got that. You, you know, I don't think you have to get a uh, license or insurance. You could just start riding them. Oh, really? So, so it's so like an easy. ATV. Yes. It's so, yeah. I don't think you're supposed to have Although them. Here, I think you need a license for ATVs too. But right. I mean, we're Ontario. Yeah. But I think there is a feeling of like they're kind of just outside the law or you can get away from the cops and not be caught in some of the neighborhoods in that film. You know, the cops weren't there. They had to come in. They yeah. do come in, but they weren't just there. So there's almost like hours where you could get away with riding a little dirt bike like that around the streets and not get caught. And I think that's got to be a huge sense of freedom. It and must. Empowerment for kids, you know. It must. And also status. At and one status. point when Mouse starts doing the drug running, um, all of a sudden he's riding this brand new fancy bike and he wants to show it off. Mm. And he wants, he wants yeah. people to see him. Oh, yeah. and then there's this just heartbreaking scene where he's got this bike he's got to deliver. Blacks has fixed it up and he's delivering it. And he stops somewhere and he sees this guy who says, hey, I know you. I knew your brother. Um, how about you let me take a little ride on 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 your bike? Uh oh. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm just delivering this bike. Oh, come on, I'll just take it to the corner. So the guy gets on it and fucks off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and so, to his credit, Mouse goes to get his bike back, and mm -hmm. the guy just says, you know, just go home, Mouse. Do these things happen? This is like welcome to life. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But Blacks is looking out for him and shows up to save the day. <laughs> it's yeah quite, no i look forward to quite seeing a good thing. film 
quite yeah, a good we, film. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna highly recommend it. Yeah, we watched the first hour. Love it. Can't wait to watch the rest of it. Hey, Steak and I went to see a play last week. Oh, to tell. What did you see? Yeah, well, um, he had a day off. We went to see The Notebook of Leonardo da Vinci. And something, I saw some review, and the way somebody mentioned that it was like a 30-year-old play, and they saw it at the time it came out 30 years ago, and, and it still stays with them, and they loved it. And it just, their review just made me want to see it. So we took off, and of course, it was a snowstorm last Thursday. It was, it was like the worst weather to go downtown. And we took the train down and walked around the city. We went and got a nice dinner. And then we um, went to this play. And you'd love it. It was only 85 minutes long. It was a perfect play. Hey, for a play. Perfect, eh? <laughs> it yeah, really was. Yeah. That, and that it, sounds about right. Yeah. It was great. And, and, and nothing stopped. It just, it went by so quickly. And it was a lot of fun. The stage design was gorgeous. It, you come in and it's like an atelier. Someone's, and, someone's ringing a doorbell here. Can you hang oh, on a minute? Yeah, I will. Hey, this is exciting. We have yeah, a you delivery. Can just keep talking while I see yeah. who's at my door. All right, I will. Um, so we have uh, you have this atelier, and the stage was made. It was all tones of gray, and all along it, it almost looked like um, huge files of drawers. Almost, I, for lack of a better word, I would say it looked like a morgue at first. You know how the drawers in a morgue come in and out. Um, and we didn't see what was in them, but they all had notes on them. And both sides of the wall had tons and tons of compartments. And these compartments were all shut down, but throughout the play, in this very simple design, um, these compartments that were like drawers that would pull out like nine, 10 feet, like you could put a whole body in them. They would pull out and sometimes they were fold out and be a set of stairs. So it was such a great design of a stage. Wow. And one time, um, so the, 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 all the actors were very physical. They were, I, I would say they were singers and dancers because there was a little bit of singing, a little bit of dancing, and they were very competent and very skilled at body work. Um, and it was kind of amazing to see all of them that. It was not a musical, but there were those elements involved. And um, they swing from bars and they have to climb all over the whole stage. So the drawers on these cabinets that are stacked up um, also function as ladders. So they could go to different layers on the walls. Um, it was just so brilliant. At one point, they pull out four drawers and they the first bottom drawer has to be about 15 feet long. And then the next drawer is about 13 feet long. And the next drawer is about 10 feet long. And then the next one's about six feet. On the very top one, there's water. It was filled with water and it moved like the ocean. On the bottom one, it was filled with river rocks. And on, I can't remember what some of the other ones had like, uh, another one, it seemed to have like a, a carcass. Um, because it was Leonardo da Vinci, um, they really did all the actors read from his notebooks. So it wasn't original oh, okay. scripts. They read from the notebooks, which provided a lot of comedy <laughs> because sometimes he would talk about measuring people. So they had the people, they had the actors. One actor would measure their arm span, like the Vitruvian man. They would measure the arm span. Then the actor would stand up and lie down. And of course, his feet and head fit within that. And they did it with a few actors until the, the last actor, it didn't work. He had very <laughs> long legs and his arms were not as wide as how tall he was. So I often became, wondered if there were people who didn't fit. 
There are. Yeah. Well, we saw one. That's right. So that was pretty funny. And then they were measuring different body parts with ropes. And, and so when and they cast to, it, they had to cast for an actor who didn't fit. To get that, that uh, sight gag yeah. for sure. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. They must've, when they had the audition, they must've measured people's sight and arm width, which is really crazy. Uh, and um, there were some great costumes, very simple um, like a bird woman. She was dressed like a raven or something. And it was very, very effective. And uh, it was just a great show. Really fantastic. And all basically on the notes of Leonardo. And, and it was fascinating. Oh, yeah. It Plus, was really fascinating. I think you would love it. A nice snowstorm night to go out downtown, have dinner, see a play. Uh, I bet it was really beautiful downtown. It was so beautiful. It was gorgeous. And it was so good to see the actors. I felt like I was staring at people I hadn't seen before, like in a play. After all this time of the pandemic, it felt so good to be in a playhouse. Um, The audience was obnoxious as hell. Phones going off and they were talking. Oh, it was just, it was so terrible. (laughs) Snoring. But (laughs) we persevered. We persevered. Um, and, and just really enjoyed ourselves. It was a lovely, lovely show. And we felt like we're putting, we're going out into the community and we're supporting the arts and we're getting back and trying to be careful with the, the virus and still live. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of fun. It was so much fun. It was so much fun. And it was also really good considering it was 30 years old. It, 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 it was, everything was kind of timeless about this play. The costumes and the humor and everything. And an unusual really approach to uh, to writing a play, I would say. Absolutely. She's, she, I guess she got overnight fame from this. She was in, just finished her master's and wrote this. And I guess overnight she wrote two plays and they just went crazy. And she's worked ever since. And I think she worked for the theater that we were in. Wow, that's and, fantastic. Uh, yeah, it just took off her career. And she's very, very talented. If I was really organized, I would know her name. I'll have to share that with us another time. <laughs> That'll be on Fix It next week. <laughs> well, we uh, we saw another four-part show on TV. I don't know if I want to recommend or not. Okay. Um, just because it's something, it's very, very well done, but it's not for everybody, I think. Mm-hmm. It's called mm-hmm. Tokyo Trial. Oh. And it's a true story of it's a historical drama and it's a i believe it was the the production was started by a japanese company and mm-hmm. it's a historical drama about the international military tribunal for the far east which is basically the war crimes tribunal dealing with the japanese leaders who were imprisoned after the end of world war ii And they brought together a tribunal consisting of judges from each of the allied countries. And Mm. the trial lasted, oh, something like two and a half years. Like it was really a major commitment for these people. They had to leave home and they were trying to figure out, well, what they called justice. They were there to do justice, Mm. but what justice meant for each of them was a little bit different because each of their countries had different experiences with the Japanese dealing with the Japanese army during the war. Mm -hmm. And so they had as well, they had different political agendas, you know, and you see that right away because the representative, the judge from Russia 
wears a military uniform throughout the whole thing mm -hmm. whereas the rest of the guys are in you know fairly relaxed business suits hanging around smoking pipes mm -hmm. um and it's dry it's fascinating it it's more about this group of men negotiating their way through the various agendas to try to achieve something that they could all agree was justice. Hmm. Um, not what I would call sort of a, a popular story. It doesn't have a, an exciting plot or anything like that. But it was nonetheless fascinating. And so 2000... I think it's 2016, and the narrator was Stacy Keach. Oh, I love Stacy Keach. Yeah, great, great narrator voice, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he's um, he's a really interesting, really interesting actor, an interesting person too. I think he did a bunch of jail time um, mm -hmm. for. I think he was uh, uh, selling powder at some point to his his Hollywood pals and uh, mm -hmm. uh, did some jail time for that. Um. I don't know all the details about that. I hope I didn't get that too wrong. But mm -hmm. I know he did some jail time. Uh, anyway, interesting story. If mm -hmm. It isn't the kind of thing I would normally watch. Normally, I, I avoid anything that has to do with war dramas. But there's <laughs> something about this one which was compelling to me. And I think it was because the representatives, the judges, you know, you think a judge should be impartial. But what's impartiality? It really comes how you see impartiality comes from your frame of reference um, mm -hmm. and your experience and so all these people had a different frame of reference and they had to come to terms with it um, and that was pretty fascinating mm -hmm. uh, in the same way that I think uh, all films that are jury trial films tend to be yeah so um, quite good not for everyone but if you think you might be interested in it it's very very well done good well i have one it, it's also a documentary but it's just an hour and a half and i think everyone should see it it's called downfall and it's on netflix and it's about the boeing aircraft company ah and basically i think in 2018 is it, is it a documentary yes it is okay yep it's an expose documentary uh, trying to get to the root of two plane crashes. So you have the storyline of two plane crashes and the family members who have lost loved ones on those plane crashes. One happened, I think they're both in 2018, if I recall correctly, and about six months apart. And they're both from the same issue on the plane. That's right. I mean, the issue was all over the news, right? Yes, it was correct. about It was about uh, the plane took control from the pilots in certain situations and wouldn't let the pilots correct the mm -hmm. bad things that the mm -hmm. plane wanted to do like crash. Correct. Correct. And it's that's funny probably because, the worst, the worst possible description oh, of the problem, but no, you nailed it. That's exactly it better than I could have said it. And you know, what's funny is that I, I always remember not wanting to fly on Airbus because it had a similar problem with it. And our friend Anita had told me that, and she kind of scared the shit out of me about Airbus. 
Um, I actually messaged her today to see if she has watched this one because I know she really likes uh, aircraft um, documentaries. Uh, did, did, had she watched it? She had not watched it, so I'm sure she will watch it after that. But um, yeah, so they go through this crash. And the problem is they knew what happened with the first crash and they still didn't do anything overnight. They didn't stop the flights because there was a, they thought there was a ratio. They took a gamble that it wouldn't happen before they fixed the issue. And it did happen six months later. On top of all of that, they're both through these reasons um, are corporate greed. And the corporate greed is so well portrayed in Kelsey you can exactly see. Yeah, I know. You can exactly see it happening was that they just had started out as they start the, the documentary with them in Seattle, this innovative 1960s, 70s company that took care of their staff, all their workers. They loved working there. They took pride in, in the artisan quality of everything from welding to design to um, comfort. It was a very hands-on, touchy-feely community. And, you know, at some point, shareholder wealth becomes the issue. And it's really this idea of selling these businesses on shareholder wealth that they start cutting back on everything else. So they started, you know, making shortcuts, not double checking, not doing proper um, safety checks. Airplanes uh, are not a place where you want to do shortcuts. Exactly. You know, as it is, you know, I remember... I remember listening to you, uh, Utah Phillips, the golden voice of the great Southwest mm -hmm. talk about airplanes and say, well, I don't like to fly because everybody knows those things are heavier than air and they're mm -hmm. built by the lowest bidder. Who wants to go up in those things? I, I know. I'm telling you, I really had horrible panic attacks after watching that. I felt sick to my mm -hmm. stomach about flying. I in, really did. Utah's uh, idea of, of, airplane travel was much <laughs> like um you know you mentioned wiley e. coyote and you know yes. how in the roadrunner cartoons he goes running off the edge of a cliff and he's perfectly fine up there until he looks <laughs> down right yeah and, that's true right and utah suggests that the reason why we can actually fly in an airplane is an act of collective will and mm -hmm. that everybody believes they can fly and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden somebody looks up from their in-flight magazine looks out the window and goes, oh shit, this is heavier than air. It can't possibly and it, fly. And down right, it goes. Right. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, so it's a very good documentary and very disturbing. I wonder how Leonardo da Vinci, I couldn't help but think because there was a lot about flying in with him, right? Because he always was going to make a flying machine. Yeah. So weird we have them. It's crazy. So that was disturbing. I'm I'm nervous about when I fly again, but I'm just going to have to let it go and just go. I'm always it. nervous flying yeah. anyway. For a brief second when we're taking off, I just think planes can't fly. That's silly. And right. and then I then I just tell myself, self, get over <laughs> it. Get yeah. over it. You, you can't leave the plane now anyway. Stop worrying. If you're going to yeah. crash into a mountain or in the middle of the ocean or whatever, it's happening and you're done. So there's no right. point worrying about it. And then I right. stop worrying. Yeah, stop worrying. I, I do too. I mean, I grew up on planes and stuff. So I, I used to not have any kind of fear of flying. But something like this gives me like, <laughs> creep out when you're thinking that you're relying on people to just please do everything right. I guess it's like going in surgery. Please make sure you're paying attention to the um, medicine you're, you know, the What's it called when you go to sleep? I can't say that word. Anesthesiology? 
Yes. <laughs> that person, you want them to take good care of your life while you're getting surgery, right? Please don't oh, fuck yeah. up. Yeah. Don't, as RuPaul would say, don't fuck it up. Uh, you know, yeah. I've, had, I've had two conversations in my life with anesthesiologists, uh-huh. and, and both times it was just before I've had surgery. And both <laughs> times it was really interesting. Do you the tell first, them, please take care of me? The first time mm-hmm. was when I had broken my ankle pretty bad, oh, yeah. and they had to put 14 screws in to Humpty Dumpty mm. me back together. Right. Um, and and I had a chat with the anesthesiologist going into um, going into that, and they were asking me if I wanted um, if I wanted to have uh, a general anesthetic or uh, like a spinal Ugh. anesthetic. How, how are you qualified to answer that? <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I'm just going in for surgery. What do I know, right? Right. And and so that's what I said. I said I don't know how to answer that question. Oh, uh, um, you know, which is better? Spinal sounds like, like you're still awake. Well, it's spinal, yeah, it's the same thing they give to women um, who are going to give birth, right? Okay. It basically numbs you from the waist down. Oh my uh, god, what was your choice? Um, so, um, I feel sick to my stomach. Uh, well, for the for that one, I think I let them just put me under. Okay. Um, but when I was back several years later in the yes. hospital because I had ripped my uh, quad tendon off my knee and yes. had to get Humpty Dumpty back together again, mm-hmm. um, I had decided that I wanted to get the the spinal rather than. Right. Because at that point, I th- I thought about it ahead of time because of the previous experience, and I thought. Well, I would like to have the, the spinal, and uh, they were going to give me the general. And so oh. I had the conversation with them, and I said, "Well, would it be okay if I had the the spinal? Does that work for you guys?" Mm-hmm. And this, they're like, "Huh? Yeah. Well, sure, that works. Yeah. Well, we got to get the doctor to sign off on it, but yeah, if that's what you want, sure." Could you feel anything? Um, no, no. Um, <laughs> and what they must have also given me um, a major sedative as well because well they didn't put me under i don't remember any of it oh really yes i don't remember any of it at all interesting Um, yeah actually come to think of it i had the (laughs) spinal also for the uh for that first surgery oh really i'm just thinking now because they put a blue screen in in front of me so i couldn't see what they were doing um and that time too, now that I think about it, I don't really remember anything until the nurse was talking to me and asking me how I was feeling and I was oh, wow. out of it. So I think both times they, they gave me a powerful oh, wow. sedative along with it. And the second time, what I remember is a really, really nice nurse um, saying, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Right. Um, you know, you're in the recovery room, everything's fine. And you're just going to be here until you can feel your toes. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I realized I can't feel my, my toes. I can't feel anything. Oh, and wow. then after that, you get that experience of beginning to get the bits of feeling and bits of movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, I recall the, the joy when I realized, hey, I can move, I can move. <laughs> uh, but I, I thought um, it was probably better. Um, yeah. The first time when I was talking to the the anesthesiologist about it, 
and I was asking which was better, they, they told me they couldn't tell me which they couldn't oh, recommend one or the right. other. And I oh, said, well, how do you expect me to make a choice? Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, well, I think I tried, I tried the tact of saying, well, what would you do? Oh, right. And they that? <laughs> one of them said, you know, um, we've, we've told you the risks with either, oh, either way, wow, and, and there wow, are risks. Wow. Um, yeah. But then one of them said, but, you know, we've done this spinal I mean, I've done it 50 times if I've done it once and there's okay. never been an issue. So okay. sure, in rare cases, there could be an issue. But I've done this one many times. And it was okay. like you were saying, pick door number one, right, pick right. door number one. So yeah. I, I mean, and you don't know, you're a patient. You just want to get it over with, right? Yeah. And not feel pain. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Although I will say that first surgery when I had broken my, my ankle, Mm-hmm. After the surgery, uh-huh. that's where the pain was. Yeah, I guess there was there was a heaping helping of pain for a couple of days after that. Terrible. And in the hospital, they're under a lot of pressure to move people out so they could move more people in. Mm. But for there were criteria I learned in order to be released, I had to be able to go up and down a set of stairs with my cast on. Wow. And they were trying to urge me to get up and <laughs> I recall sitting up and the pain when just when I sat up, oh. I almost passed out from move. Yeah, don't However, do that again. Don't do that again. I'm trying not to. All right, good. good. Okay. Did you watch Reacher? Reacher? Yeah, it's a series based on the Lee Child books about Jack Reacher. Did you ever read any Jack Reacher books? No, I never have. Oh, did we talk about this or, or not? I can't remember if I talked about it a couple weeks ago. I don't ago. think so. Oh, about the bookstore. I went to go get some Lee Childs. He writes this book. He's kind of like a hobo that travels around America and everywhere this guy goes. He's sort of like, the. he's kind of like a hero for our generation. <laughs> he's like a hero for our generation. That's right. Right. Who gets, gets to travel around having adventures like yeah, Kane and Kung Fu, right? Yes. That's what you want to, I mean, really, isn't that what we all want to do? Be like, yeah, I'm having food? deja vu. So I must've talked, we must've talked about it already. He drinks a lot of coffee. He'll drink any kind of coffee. And he has a very particular way of speaking when he solves mysteries. It's like, he's almost like, um, and then this happened, then that happened. And this is the kind of, he knows statistics and he analyzes mysteries with his little statistics, like a detective. And, um, but they made a, a, a series on Amazon Prime. It's about nine episodes. It should have been about five, but it's still really <laughs> delicious. Well, know. you know, if you're talking about something needing editing, it seriously needs it. I I'm know. usually, That's... I'm usually the agent talking about editing. I know. Sort of my specialty. Uh, yes. And sometimes I have, I have my times where I'm like, no, they should have made this shorter. Um, it's Alan Richson playing it. And he's really pretty good. He's very compelling. And, um, when Tom Cruise played him twice. Wow. And I went into a Ravens book bookstore. Did he do his own stunts? Yes, he did his own stunts. Okay, just checking. But he had great charisma in the role. But sure. when I went to a bookstore and I was looking for a book by, you know, on Jack Reacher and the movie was coming out, I said, hey, you know, the movie's coming out. He goes, yeah, but we prefer Jack Reacher. We like our Jack Reacher 6'5", five, not 5'6". Five, Ooh, who said that? <laughs> the guy at the home, the bookstore. The bookstore, that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> six, yeah. five, not five, six. I yeah, like that. well, he's Reacher, because the character is huge. 
Oh, okay. You know, always is very, very big. It's a big part of the novel. There, you know, just like any repetitive character in a novel, there's always those things that they say every uh, every book. They'll always run through the things that make that character that character, right? Drinking coffee is one of them. Traveling around America, and um, Jack Reacher never buys clothes. He just goes to like the Marks warehouse and buys new clothes throws the old ones in the garbage <laughs> because so he doesn't wash them he just buys new ones yeah because they're not expensive and then you know he wears them but i think he wears them for like a week or two or something right Great he's not one, filthy man. he's clean and um but he just doesn't he just throws them out and gets new ones because i love that i know it's very funny <laughs> he's actually a pretty cool character so when you like his the when you like him, you're very fussy about who plays him. I thought Tom Cruise was fine. And this guy was great, but he didn't have the personality that Tom Cruise brings to it. Okay, had, but still worth watching. Oh, very well. Very much. I think you'd really enjoy it, but it's going to be too long for you. And because the action gets spread out over nine episodes, when it really should be in one or two hours, right? I see. But um, it's a good mystery. I remembered the mystery. As soon as it started, I, I had read the book and I was like, oh, it's one of the best um, mysteries of uh, it's a counterfeit story and they have a really good counterfeit game going on. Um, so I watched that too. That was pretty cool. That but you cool. know, um, the guy was very good looking and very muscly. One thing I've heard people say is that they, that Reacher is fit and strong, but not because he goes to a gym. He's just born huge uh -huh. and he's been in fights all his life. So that's how we developed. So muscle. some of the people who are reacher heads who read the yes. books now mm -hmm. might have might have a bone to pick with the depictions um, yes, of on television and movies. Yeah, because he's too good looking. Now he's too fit. He's too gymmed out. He's like a gym rat. And the character well, is not sometimes when you make a movie based on a book. I mean, it takes in a book. Everybody takes the descriptions and the way a character is built in the book and adds up, we add our own mm -hmm. life so experience true. to it. Um, and so, so um, we interpret the character and what they're like in our own way. And you yes. and I could see the same show and have a different idea of aspects of, of the character. Right. But, um, it kind of freezes it in time. If you like, if you read the book, you get, you get, um, you, you get to bring your own experience to it. But it, once you film it, it freezes it in time and you don't yeah. get to do that. It's this That's way so now. True. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Does that you know make sense? I, yes, it is. You know how I started reading Jack Reacher novels? No. Because Stag's aunt, um, she said that she had a new boyfriend and her boyfriend was Jack Reacher. So I was like, <laughs> I have to find out who this guy is. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it was really cute. That was years ago. It was like 10 years ago. I was like, well, I'll check that out. <laughs> hey, I want to thank uh, Adamandia for uh, for sending us an email yes. um, because we love getting mail, yes, don't we? we do. Yes, and we do. And if you want to mail us, email <laughs> us, you can at theagency.podcast at gmail.com. And the more the merrier. We the love to the read merrier. them. We love to discuss them. We we'll love the, the ideas that you bring to it. Um, and uh, keep those emails coming. Please. And um, hopefully we'll have some guests coming up. I asked a friend of ours to come on. I don't know if he's going to come on or not, uh, Eugene. I'm not going to tell you who it is okay. until, until he says yes. Uh, excellent. Surprises are, are fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm willing to engage with whatever guests you find good, at the conference good. down there in, yeah. in any context. So um, let's, uh, let's have some fun with it. Yeah. And, um, 
who knows what the future is going to hold? That's the most fun no, episodes when fun. we don't know what's going to happen. Totally. I think. And All right. So we're going to go out for French food right now. Oh, man. <laughs> well. Downtown Albuquerque. And we've been eyeing this restaurant for about six years. And every time we miss the nights that it is open. So I went ahead and made sure I knew what night it was open. Excellent. And we're going to try and see Meow Wolf on Sunday. What's that? That's the immersive art thing I told you about. Oh, it's not Frida Kahlo. It's not. It's its own. It's a huge company. They have shows everywhere. It's weird. They don't have one in Toronto or Chicago, actually. I'm anxious to find out what it's like, because my only criticism (laughs) of those immersive experiences is that they play off the work of dead artists who don't deserve that treatment. I know. Right. They deserve their work (laughs) to be respected for what it was. And I'm really adamant about that. Which reminds me, we've listened to a couple of great podcasts. I think I sent you one. It's on Juxtapose Radio. We listened to three podcasts on the train. Um, and one of them was with the Radiohead, Tom York. And that's the one I, I sent to you. It's so good. I just think anybody should listen to it. It's absolutely wonderful. And then we listened to um, one that was a Canadian artist. I don't want to say their name. And it was not that great. It was kind of boring because of the way they he talked was kind of interesting he just was like and i made 100 drawings and like then i went over here in my studio and i i did this so i'm not going to recommend that and who was the guy we listened to today it was so good um i don't remember oh god i i need to check his name um find this why didn't i write it down eugene i'm gonna have to do a fix it or post it on facebook um but juxtapose radio everyone should listen to the radiohead interview it's fantastic And this interview was with, oh, here we go, Nigel Howlett, a London-based painter, Nigel Howlett. He was really, really interesting. He also seems to have a a gallery and he talks about painting and it was a lot of fun. And he really says that um, they asked a question, look, if all the artwork sells before the show opens and it could always sell, should we even bother having galleries? What's your thought? If you could sell all your artwork online, would you still have openings? Well, you know, that's a really interesting question. I think the idea of having the work available for the public to see is is a good thing. Correct. You answered the right. It's not. It's not just about selling stuff. No. It's you know putting stuff into private homes. It's it's giving a broader range of people an opportunity to see it. And if you sell some works along the way, hey, you know, it puts some. put some salad greens on the table exactly and that's exactly what he said too he said it doesn't it's not just about selling the artwork you ask any artist they everybody wants to have money and make money of course but it you don't make art because of that you're making it for something else in the process of making it and you still want to have an opening he thinks that every artist will say we still want galleries because seeing art in person and in there's a relationship between the paintings and the art or the sculpture and the building that they're in and the room they're in and seeing them live. So you answered correctly. <laughs> All right. Hey, just before we go, I just wanted to acknowledge the passing um, this last week of um, uh, a Canadian musical hero, I think. Dallas Good died. Uh, so oh, he's yeah. only 48 years old yes, um, from yes. the 80s. Uh, from a family of great musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis Good. Um, mm-hmm. as well from it was in the 80s and the good yeah. brothers and same family uh 
it's just it's tragic he's so young you know and yes. um important musician i think in the toronto music scene music community uh so i just wanted to acknowledge that and uh a sad week for uh, the toronto music scene yes thanks for remembering to say that yeah pretty bad news and that's it i want you to enjoy the co- the uh the conference and you know just have lots of fun and uh, meet lots of uh, fun people I, I think it's you're gonna do really well with your with your paper and uh, you're gonna have a gas down here. Yeah, I think so. It should be fun. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.